Accutron Watches present The Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture, with your hosts David Graver and Indrani. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. The original space views were not meant to be sold. These were, were demo pieces. You know, the skeletonized dial, in a sense, or what you call transparent, so you could see the space inside, so that they could actually help people sell the watch. The people you heard at the top of the show are today's guests, Adam Craniotis and Kathleen McGivney, respectively founder and chief executive officer of Red Bar Group, a collective of international watch collectors. They're here to talk to us about their mission and a special collaboration with Accutron. But first up, me, David Graver, and introducing my new co-host, Indrani, here for the first episode of a new season of the Accutron Show. Stay tuned. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection. Recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design, combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed. Again. The Accutron Space View 2020. Indrani, before we welcome our guests to the first episode of Season 4 of the Accutron Show... I just wanted to welcome you. When we first met in advance of your episode in season two, I felt so inspired, so empowered, and then your episode was one of my favorite. I'm so honored to be sitting across from you and to go down this path with you moving forward. Thank you so much, David. It is really an honor for me to be here with you. You are such an inspiration across so many different fields, and and I've been watching and reading your work for, for many, many years, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be here I with can't you. believe we're doing this. I know. Welcome back. <laughs> I think there's so many interesting and important stories, and I'm thrilled to to get to talk to some of the most interesting characters of our times. Likewise. We've done a good job with the last three seasons of sussing out really complex characters and figuring out what they have to say and what they have to say to our audience. But I'm particularly looking forward to this episode's guests as someone who's in love with watches and who's who's someone who's a bit of a collector and obsessive. I feel like the Red Bar group and, and what they do is a really good fit for the Accutron show. I'm really interested because as someone who's moving between the worlds of of luxury and brands and of meaning and social justice and finding finding how we can have balance and harmony with nature I think that looking at something like a watch as as a high form of art and technology and science and seeing how that fits into our modern world it's very inspiring. It's definitely evident that you're very interested in looking forward and defining the future and helping assist in the future. And everyone can still listen to seasons one through three of the Accutron show with my former co-hosts, Bill McCuddy and Scott Alexander. But you're our future, and I look forward to seeing what we can do together. Do you have a watch story? What's your connection to, to watches? I did never suspect that I would be a watch person. And in advance of a Basel world in 2013, my executive editor gave me a watch. He gave me a mechanical watch, and he said, you're going to start writing about these. And I said, I know nothing about these. And he said, well, it's time to learn. And I went to Basel, Switzerland, and spent a week with watch brands. And by the end of it, I was in love I wanted to know so much more. I wanted to wear everything. I wanted to touch every material. I wanted to understand millimeter size and the weight of a watch on my wrist. And I then realized I wasn't alone. So many people felt that way. So many people can't help but want to try on another watch. And it's quite moving. Like today's guests, Adam Craniotis and Kathleen McGivney from Red Bar Crew, who are here for a special reason. I'm excited to learn more about this collaboration. 
Um, when you would venture around the world, do you wear watches? You know, I I like to immerse myself completely in the culture that I'm in. And as an anthropologist, it's it's really important to me to to reflect the people that I'm with. So, for example, what I'm wearing today is from the a creation of the Puyanawa tribe in the Amazon, who I was just visiting with. And their ability to express themselves through these creative meetings of technology and and nature are really exciting. So so yeah, it's it's fun to to wear watches as as an expression of of my cultural identity or feeling of the moment. I think watches are such an interesting synergy of art and technology and science and the idea of a conversation starter of a storytelling device is what really intrigues me and and how I feel connected to the different guests that we have is is through this process of storytelling through this synergy of science and art and meaning and purpose and uh, that's that's what I'm excited to explore one of my favorite parts of the day happens shortly after I wake up and shower and then I sit down to de- determine what I will wear that day on my wrist. And I am a person who will go weeks wearing the same watch. I am a person who will sometimes wear a different watch every single day. I'm also the type of person who will sometimes wear a watch on two wrists just to see. And I feel like it is, as you were saying, an expression of self, and it's a way of conveying how you feel and why you feel that way. And it's more than just an accessory. It's it's a channel, it's a bridge between a person and their personality to the outside world. You know, for me as an anthropologist and a filmmaker and a storyteller, time is such a, a powerful and complex idea. And traveling around the world, different places, different people have different relationships with time. I myself don't really believe in time. I think that it's it's a construct of the human mind. And uh so I think watches are fascinating because they're sort of the the example of how we can uh, how we can measure, how we can quantify, how we can attempt to control one of the forces that is the least controllable in our world, which is time. I tend to only believe in time when I'm on a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> That's especially when I don't believe in time. <laughs> time changes, right? When you're super intensely involved in something, when you're in love, or when, when you're in danger, all of those moments seem to last forever. And then other years go by and you look back and you say, what did I do in all of those years? Was there anything of it's me? It's so viscous. Yeah. It expands and contracts. And on that very poetic note, we'll take a break and then return with Adam Craniotis and Kathleen McGivney of Red Bar Group. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Kathleen, Adam, welcome to the Accutron Show. Um, Both of you are known for your passion and knowledge about watches. I'm wondering if we could begin with you sharing a little bit about the first watch you ever fell in love with or the watch that was the one that made you an obsessive. Wow. Um, I mean, where to begin with that one? I I have several Actually, <laughs> but uh, the one I like to talk about most um, is my first watch, which was a watch that my grandfather bought for me when I was around uh, seven or eight years old. And um, it was a Casio, a Casio F7. Uh, I know this because I, I have it. <laughs> uh, actually, in a, in a strange twist, I gave it to my son as his first watch. Oh, wow. Um, but this watch, it, it was, ironically, it was not the watch that I wanted. Uh, there was a store that we used to go to upstate New York. I would spend my summers uh, with my grandparents, and I would always gravitate towards the watch case while my grandmother was you know, shopping for, for clothes or whatever. And one time, my grandfather came up behind me, and he said, which one do you want? Now, in my house, you only got presents if it was your birthday, it was Christmas, or you saved a bunch of nuns from like a burning bus. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you didn't get anything. You know, that, that you're, otherwise you're just doing your job. Uh, so I was like, wow, I, I didn't do anything. I, I can't get a watch. And I wanted the calculator watch. It had all the buttons, you know, real sci-fi looking. And um, 
but I knew it was too much to ask. You know, my grandparents didn't have a lot of money and I, I just, I don't deserve that. And so I, I pointed to what I thought was the most humble watch, which turns out was the F7. And I still remember him kind of looking at me going, are you sure it's that one? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seven, eight years old, so I, I just, I don't know what money is. I know it exists and <laughs> things cost a lot and I get yelled at for being too expensive just as a child. So um, I didn't realize he could have easily bought the calculator watch. So I insisted and I got it and uh, I wore the snot out of that thing. It actually got so scratched up that my mother sent it back to Casio just to have the, the plastic crystal replaced on it. Um, but that's what started the journey for me. And so whenever I had allowance money, birthday money, I would always buy a watch and it was always a Casio. And then when they came out with G-Shock, then it was only G-Shocks. And then it just escalated from there. Um. Yeah, I I think my first well my first love was swatches when I was a kid. I you know I grew up in the eighties. The, the that was the thing that was the cool thing to have. So when I was a kid, that was really what drove my did you have interest a flick in watches. Flack? I did not have a flip flack. No, I had like well actually this was this predates flip flack because those yeah. didn't come out until yeah we're old yeah we're very <laughs> old people. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, like swatches came out in eighty three. Eighty three. Yeah, yeah. So so. You know, that's and I was not a newborn then. So it was yeah, so so swatches were my first love. Uh fast forward to adulthood, really it was Red Bar that that led me down the the collecting uh sort of rabbit hole. So Adam and I have known each other for again, we're gonna age ourselves down, here. Yeah. We have known each other for twenty five years. So at first it was that our our relationship was old enough to vote. <laughs> then it was old enough to drink, but now I think it can rent a car. It's it true. can rent a car. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, we yeah we we worked at a, a tech firm uh, in the late '90s together, so um, we'd known each other for a long time, and then um, you know kept in touch and on social media. And then I I saw every week with the advent of Instagram, uh, Adam like posting these terrible because you remember camera camera yeah. phones were not good in low light it's true. in the early days so there would be these terrible grainy photos of watches you know every week and finally i messaged him and said uh, how do you know that wasn't an artistic choice i mean maybe <laughs> I mean, you know it, it give me a little been. credit yeah maybe i mean it could have been an no, artistic no, they were just choice they were just crappy shots, shots. Yeah. well it was camera quality so yeah. i started a, i said you know, I want to come out and because my ex and I had a collection of watches at the time. I said, we're going to come out, but we don't have any, you know, we don't have anything fancy. We're going to bring our swatch collection. And he said, okay, come on out. And he said, there's no snobs. Don't worry about it. So we show up with like 30 swatches, I think. I still remember. I mean, it was, yeah. people so, lost their minds. People lost their minds. <laughs> so we can't, we come in and we bring it, we bring all these swatches and we lay them out on the table and everyone went, oh, my God, and they're taking Rolexes and Pateks off of their wrists to try on these swatches because we had some from the early 80s. We had, you know, we had a, a huge collection of them, and everybody was having fun. And I said, well, okay, they passed the no snobs test. And then I started coming every week and quickly got very obsessed. Um, but the first one that really caught my eye was uh, Nomos or Orion, which is yep. like, which was, you know, Nomos at the time was... I think only carried by one retailer in the U.S., so I had never seen one in real life until one showed up to Red Bar, and then I quickly got super obsessed with that and and tracked down the one retailer in the U.S. that sold yeah. it and bought one, and then the rest is I just oh, went yeah. down. She a went from like zero to sixty in two seconds. Flat. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty uh, intense. <laughs> so I, I have to ask, why watches? I know people collect all <laughs> kinds of things. But what is it about watches for for each of you? I, you know that that's an excellent question, and I, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. Why uh, watches? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it was it was something that just really uh, just captured my imagination at the, the time that I really started getting into this in the early '80s. Uh, and again, this was you know digital. Uh, Casio. Again, it was only Casio. That was, if I was a snob about anything, it was that. But um, the watches kept getting more 
interesting. I had watches that played melody alarms. You know, I did ultimately get that calculator watch, but one where the numbers would disappear. It was two layers, so you could actually cheat in tests. It wouldn't show up. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's useful. <laughs> you know, they started getting little sensors on them. There was one that had a thermometer, which was pointless because if it was on your wrist, it was already getting your body temperature, but it just looked cool. And so, <laughs> so that little bit of the nerd inside of me. A um, little bit? Well, <laughs> well, I think that's the nerd grew into the giant nerd sitting here today. But... Um, but there was something about that, I think, that just piqued my interest as, as a child of that era. Um, and then just watches as a, a thing, you know, I mean, I could take my watch off right now. You would see that not only is there a tan line, the hair doesn't even grow under here. <laughs> because I, But I'm serious. I've always had a watch on from that first watch, whether I was going to sleep or taking a shower or going swimming, I would always have a watch on. And so... It was sort of natural, I think, to move into mechanical watches as I got older. Yeah. And it keeps me off the heroin. <laughs> that's valid. Valid. Yeah. You know, we we have to keep him out of trouble somehow. And and that's really that's really it. He has to obsess about something. Yep. Uh for me, I think it's it's there's a lot of storytelling that really speaks to me uh, about watches and watch brands, specifically around brands that are, you know, either doing something unique like Accutron or or, do, or or independent brands that are able to take kind of, I don't know, more interesting risks or do innovative things with materials. I love to hear the origin stories of, of small brands where someone tells me why they got into making watches in the first place. Um, there's something about that personal connection that really speaks to me. And also there's some really, this is looking down at my wrist right now. And I, if I shouldn't, because I will be very distracted by watching this watch work. Um, there's, it's, it's almost absurd how much, how many pieces and how many parts and how much engineering goes into these things. At such a small scale. In such a small scale. And so it's fascinating to me as also a nerdy person uh, to also see... Also a giant nerd. Giant nerd. <laughs> uh, to, to, to kind of marvel at that, the feat of engineering, the, the, the kind of even the skill that it takes to put these tiny little things together and make them actually work is, is almost, it's almost like magic. I mean, it's not magic, it's actual science, but it's, a little bit of magic. It's a little bit of magic. How did you transform this passion, this informal passion, into a business, an organize, an organization of beloved like watch collectors and watch enthusiasts that want to share? It was entirely by accident, um, and I think. But I think when I say that, and I'm I'm being actually serious, um, I think that's a lot of the appeal that we have is that this was organic. Red Bar was not something that that we sat down and planned and we're going to have this community and we're going to bring people together, you know, and work. No, it was me and one other guy who we'd met randomly at a, a lunch for uh, this one watchmaker who was in town. And this is back in about 2006. And uh, we realized, like, I'm like, you're cool. I'm cool-ish. Uh, we like watches, clearly. Why don't we just hang out once a month, you know, and talk about watches? And, you know, you'll bring yours, I'll bring mine. Because this was a hobby at that point in person. You really couldn't talk to somebody. The second you got me started, and I could just see their eyes start to glaze over. Like, I'm so sorry I brought this up with this guy. <laughs> so here was somebody I could do this with, my friend, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Jacques. And so what we did is we found a bar that was equidistant from our offices in Midtown. And that's where we met. And the bar just happened to be Red Bar. And that's where the name actually comes from, this Korean dive bar run by this, this very eccentric woman. And uh, once a month, we would sit there and meet. And there were two of us. Then there were three of us. Then there were five of us. Now there are 10 of us. Now we're meeting every two weeks. And now I'm sending little emails out. And people are asking me, hey, are we doing Red Bar this week? Is Red Bar going on? And it just caught on from there. And I think by the time Kathleen had showed up, you know, we'd had a few chapters, so to speak. But it was really people just saying, hey, I love what you're doing. We don't have this in my city. Do you mind if I use your name and start something up? And I'm like, do whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> and uh, But it started to get bigger. And once Kathleen was involved, and you have to remember, we used to work together. Um, I will say this. Uh, she was the best project manager I'd ever worked with. Uh, extremely organized and extremely nerdy. And And I basically was like, look. We need to take this to the next level, but it has to be controlled at this point because I don't know what I'm doing. 
I still don't know what I'm doing. He, mostly he doesn't. Um, but I, yeah, that was basically it. We, you know, I had started again. I started attending. I became completely obsessed and consumed with watches in in general. And then Adam said, you know, we need we need to organize this a little better because it had started to have momentum with a lot of other uh, folks joining in other cities and and wanting to do it in other cities. Uh, so I I came on and we we kind of we we had to put some structure around it, form a company, and make it into a formal thing. Um, also because the name had started to get out there, we wanted to make sure we protected the name and made sure that it's you know not just anyone can just start a red bar. You know, we wanted to make it a little more formal. Well, I'd love to ask you about the work you've been doing in the communities, because that, that's something I'm very passionate about, and and your dedication to helping those in need in your communities. How did that become part of of the the mission for you? Well, that's actually something that we, when we sat down to form this and into an actual organization that we talked about at great length, um, both of us are pretty passionate about giving back to the communities in which we live. Um, Adam volunteers at a shelter in his neighborhood. Uh, I'm the chair of the board of directors of Bailey House, which is a nonprofit here in New York City that provides housing and supportive services to people in need. Uh, and we've always kind of been involved in that way. And we wanted to encourage all of our local chapters because they know their communities better than we do. They know what their communities need. So we we would encourage all of our local chapters, you know, we don't require it, but we would encourage them to identify a need in their community and and give back to it. And and we support that as as much as we possibly can. You know, if 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 one chapter is doing a specific fundraiser or something like that, we'll we'll try to support it on our social media channels or or donate ourselves if we can. Um but if you want to add anything to that, Adam, I think it's just it's just something important to us. We have this hobby where as much as we love these things, we don't need them and we have disposable income to buy them. So we'd like to, um, you know, kind of funnel some of that energy and some of that in, back into the communities where we live. Wonderful. Yeah, no, it was, excuse me, right from the beginning, we knew that that was going to be a part of what we did. And as she said, you know, this is a hobby that requires a fair bit of money. And um, I think that when you're basically getting people together to play with their expensive metal Barbie dolls. Um, <laughs> it is incumbent upon you to give something back. And we'd actually looked into uh, creating a, a 501c3. Uh, it turns out there were a lot of hoops to jump through. And yeah. uh, ultimately, we settled on the structure we have now. But then we set up the Red Bar Fund, which is managed for us by a separate company. Huh. So we put money in there. And then that money, once it's there, we can't just take it out and, and say, commission a $10,000 portrait of myself to have in our office. <laughs> Although um, that would be very interesting. It actually can only go to other recognized 501c3 charities. So uh, it is something that I think just from the get-go, you know, we both felt very strongly about. Thank you for that, Adam. Right now, we're actually going to take a break and we'll return with Adam and Kathleen to discuss the role of collaborations with Red Bar when we return. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our legacy collection, reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s. The legacy collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for your future. Great to be to be here with you guys, and I'd love to talk to you about collaboration because it's it seems to be such an interesting mix of technology, artistry, and then working with other collaborators. Tell me more about your collaborations. Do you want to start? Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 something that I mean we see a lot more of now in this industry. Uh, it seems like everybody's kind of out there and, and collaborating, creating a watch, creating a new limited edition. Uh, this is something that we actually started doing um, a while ago. Our first watch uh, was actually a Maurice Lacroix, uh, wow. a Pontos S diver. We only did 10 of them, um, but it was uh, it was a very interesting uh, process. First of all, I think a lot of people don't realize just how much goes into uh, creating a collaboration, even if it's something as simple as just a, a dial, uh, it does take a while. It need, you need lead time. You know, the, the production process is is a lot more fraught. Um, and of course, the more complex the watch is, uh, the more complex the process is. But I think for us, it's always a great way to sort of get a little bit of our aesthetic out there, a little bit of what we love about watches and, and put our 
our imprint on it. And when I say our imprint, you know, I'm not just talking about Kathleen and myself, but really Red Bar as a whole. You know, we like to do collaborations that we think uh, are sort of accessible and speak to, you know, our members around the world. Yeah, our second collaboration was kind of a, a really grew out of that, you know, the community and, and what they they had indicated that they wanted. So we did a collaboration with Oris and that piece was, that was, that was the second one and was launched in, oh, there was, it I can't was, even remember it years was launched anymore. in 2018, I think. Don't look yes. at me. 2018. And, and it was, the a, before times. it was, it was, yeah, it was the before pre-pandemic. Yeah. It was in Las Vegas. Uh, and, and <laughs> I remember this very specifically because the, um, you know, it was a beautiful, piece to Adam's point, it did take a long time for us to actually come to, you know, to to develop the product and, and get it ready. And when we launched it, um, they handed me a, a a piece of paper with all the the limited edition numbers on it and they and we announced it and at a party that was full of Red Bar members. And they said, Kathleen has the list of limited oh, edition boy. numbers. And they left me at the front of the room. And then this rush of <laughs> humans came towards me because they all wanted to buy the watch and get their number. And I will never do that again. Yeah, I think, we're, <laughs> well, it, it, it's been a learning process. I think each watch we've done, we, we've kind of figured out Things that we don't want to do, that maybe going forward. Yeah. That watch though was was very interesting, and again, it was a collaboration with Oris. And um, I remember when they were trying to come up with the dial, the color uh, that we wanted. You know, it, we don't need it to be a one to one, like oh, this is the Pantone shade of our logo, and that's what we're going to do. It wanted something a little more natural, and the color that was settled on was actually from a watch uh, that they had done in the late uh, '60s. And a very, you know, sort of esoteric piece. And, and it was their CEO who had found it, the, the particular watch, and then recommended that color. And it, it's funny, it's still this running joke that he hates that he did them. <laughs> the watch is so great. But, you know, we made 100 of them and they can't use it again because that's ours now. That's our color, so, yes. I, I love think, that. I think yeah. they learned something, too, in the process. If something's really, really awesome, keep it to yourself. Don't share it with <laughs> us. But, um that was funny. Yeah, so we we do love doing working on collaborations. We've done uh, we did uh, one uh, actually two watches as as part of one collaboration with Frederic Constant as well, which was launched during the pandemic, which was so. That it was, was, that was it, you know, we had to launch it virtually. Like we could, yeah. nobody could. It was uh, it was a little challenging, but it was it's such a beautiful uh, beautiful collaboration and, That's and wonderful. Probably my favorite. I think that one's well. I yeah. also love that one because I created because I insisted for the perpetual calendars that the moon on the moon phase on the perpetual calendar be red. You know, yeah. It's perfect. It's, yeah, and the, and I we did the the, <laughs> the, the blood moon the blood moon. Oh. And um, oh yeah, and it's so my little goth heart is very happy yes. with that. But uh, that one is really one of one of my favorites. And then our most recent one uh, prior to this one was with uh, with Bamford in oh. in the UK. Bamford watched part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and 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 each one of those has been very different. Like the the process is different. The um, making decisions, you know, it it's it's very different depending on how many layers of, you know, sort of management yes. <laughs> the yeah. decision-making process has to go through. Uh, but we have a lot of fun with it. We we really like to... And each um, watch is sort of its own, you know, animal in a sense. They're all very different. They are. Um, but yet they still, I think, speak to who we are and what we do. One of the reasons why you're here today, aside from your eloquence and your passion, is the fact that you have done a collaboration with Accutron. You both have to happen to be wearing that watch, which comes out on September 21. Uh, yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering it's if you can tell us a little right bit here. about the origin of this collaboration and why you chose this watch and what you did to it. Well, I, you know, we don't want to give too much away in advance of, of the, the official unveiling. Um, but it, it, first of all, I think just Accutron in and of itself. I mean, it's, it's, it's a brand name. It's an icon. You know, I was always, uh, once I really started doing my deep dive into this hobby, um, knew about the space view, knew the story behind uh, this watch. It's this groundbreaking timepiece, an electric watch with a tuning fork uh, at a time, you know, when we were still, you know, in the stone ages of, of mechanical watchmaking, if you will. And, you know, it's an interesting milestone in terms of uh, the development of the wristwatch and that, you know, it's kind of bridges the gap between fully mechanical and then the quartz revolution, which is a topic that, you know, we could spend hours Indeed. discussing in and of itself. But um, 
But yeah, the, the Accutron was just a it sort of encapsulated a period of time, you know, and the space view, you know, and the fact that the, the original space views were not meant to be sold. These were, were demo pieces, you know, the skeletonized dial in a sense or what you call transparent. So you could see the space inside <laughs> so that they could actually help people sell the watch. But that it turns out that was what was so cool. Let's just make the watch that way. Without a dial. Yeah. Well, who knew? And so it, it's it's a funny kind of story. It's an interesting story and it's an important story. And when the brand was revived, I mean, for me, again, the nerd in me, the, the, the watch collector in me, it was interesting to see how they did this, how they came up with something new. And that's why we have the electrostatic movement. Now, you can't use a tuning fork anymore because it just doesn't make sense. You know, the whole point that we switched to a quartz oscillator was because of the accuracy. So this was a way, I think, for Accutron to kind of come back to the scene uh, with something new, something no one had done before that ties it to the original space view, but then moves it forward. So it's a conversation piece as much as a watch. And it was something I always had my eye on. And so when the opportunity came for us to actually do it with our little imprint on it, Again, that watch nerd in me was just like, oh, my God, we're doing that. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about the design. I mean, I think it, it'll be very self-apparent or, 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 you know, obvious when you see the piece. But we took a, a liberty here or there. Yeah, I think I think that what's what we try to do is is create a balance, right? Red bar, you know, it's obviously there's red elements. That's a color that's we're known that's kind of associated with us. Um, but we won't, don't want it to be too in your face. Like we don't want the, you know, the whole thing to be red and just be screaming uh, at you from the wrist. So it's, you know, got some more subtle elements, but you'll definitely see the imprint of, of our design on piece. Very excited yeah. to see it. Yeah. I think that that mix of art and technology and the ability to, to capture all of this sophistication in, in this tiny device, it, it really is is magic that, that each of us can be part of. I agree. I mean, again, we use that word magic again. And uh, as somebody who's actually attended several watchmaking classes and has tried his hand at I mean, I know fully, without any doubt, that I will never be a watchmaker. Um, <laughs> that even if my life depended on it, the lives of the people I love and I have to assemble this watch, we're all going to die. But, so it's magic. It is magic. Um, but I think it is especially, it's interesting to me, and I'll bring it back to Accutron. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I just, I love the electrostatic movement. And that's also kind of magic to me. It's very difficult to keep reinventing the wheel in this industry. And that is what each brand has to do year in and year out. You know, I have the utmost respect. Even when some things don't work 100%, I still know people put so much time and effort into that that I couldn't do myself. But this movement is just special. So for me, it's, it's very exciting. You have an appreciation for the movement because of your knowledge about the movement, our cumulative knowledge about the movement. There is something daunting about a watch movement. There's something daunting about the language around watches. How would you advise people who are nervous about the language or the, the entire vocabulary of watchmaking to get over that and to come into this world that really is full of nerds? <laughs> I'll let Kathleen well, well, I run think, with this one first. Yeah. I think there's a there's a number of ways to approach it, right? One of the things that we sort of talk about uh and the the way we approach having our red bar communities operate is that there we we the only qualifier to get you in the door is do you are you interested in watches? Do you like watches? You don't have to know stuff. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a nerd. You'll become a nerd when you hang out with us nerds because it's just very <laughs> contagious. Yeah. But um but yeah, you don't catching. you just have to be interested in and I, I'm gonna use Melody as an example here because she's Our my favorite favorite our member. favorite Red Bar member. The I platonic ideal of what a watch collector she gets, and a Red Bar she gets very, be. She gets embarrassed every time we do this. But she came to Red Bar with <laughs> one of our— Yeah, we're talking about you, Melody. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We hope you're listening. Uh, she came to Red Bar years ago with one of our longest-running members uh, who she worked with. And she was interested in watches, but she didn't know anything about them. She didn't have a mechanical watch. She only had a quartz watch that she had gotten at the at the Met— 
the Met? MoMA. MoMA. Oh. Um, she had a quartz, you know, quartz piece. So she wore a watch, but she just didn't know anything about mechanical watches. And she came in and we said, oh, great. Well, the, here's 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 all the knowledge that you need yes, sitting yes. around a, this a table. table of watches and people. And so she said, OK, I want to buy my first mechanical watch. And she would come every week and take notes and pictures. And then she started attending attending the Horological Society of New York lectures. Oh, front row. With sitting in the notebook. front row, notebook, taking notes. Um, she spent a little over, I think, a little over a year doing all of this, and she narrowed it down to what she wanted to purchase. <laughs> and she found she brought she found her original notebook and papers and oh, stuff the other and brought it to Red Bar a few weeks ago. Uh, she she narrowed it down and and you know she talked to people and she had pros and cons lists and like this whole stapled together thing. And when she finally decided on a watch, which actually happened to be a Nomos as well, um, she went to Wempe. She purchased the watch. They were going to deliver it in about a week and a half. And so she showed up to Red Bar one night with just the receipt. Yeah. She was <laughs> so excited. She was so excited. And the whole and room. And we were excited. The whole room of people like cheered her on and were congratulating her on getting her first mechanical watch. And that's the sort of thing that you can do. That's the journey. That's what we want it to be for, yeah. for everyone. And we deliberately set out to make it accessible and inclusive to people who have any no matter what their you know budget is or what their knowledge level is or anything like that they can come into the room and ask a question and there's somebody at that table that will be happy to tell them of all of the things they want to know everybody starts somewhere yeah so let me ask for young people because a watch is such a part of your identity or maybe even the most defining attribute yeah. that some people will will be wearing do you have any words of advice on how to get started in making that first choice on your first watch? I mean, don't, don't. Find something more productive. Stay away from watches. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's ruined my life. Um, you know, it, it, again, it should be organic. And I think that if, you know, your parents have a fascination with it, it it's going to pass on in some level. And I, I can only use my kids as an example. Uh, my son uh, really got into watches for a while. And again, it was... G-Shocks, Casio, just like I did. Um, and then he fell out of it. I, I do have a, an Apple Watch. You I wear two kind of, watches. I do. Uh, now it's mainly, you know, for health reasons. And, um, you know, I like the notifications. Again, the nerd in me. You know, why wouldn't I like a smartwatch? Like, I believe that you can love smartwatches. You can love regular watches. Um, but I got a new one, and I gave my older Apple Watch to my son. And then he just gave up on watches because he loved this Apple Watch. And so my daughter became the one that sort of picked up the mantle. And she loves G-Shocks. And so I was so happy. At her last birthday, she specifically wanted this limited edition G-Shock that was made a year ago that was only sold in Korea by some obscure fashion brand. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I love you. My God, of course, I'll find this watch for you. And I actually had to call in some favors within G-Shock just to get this watch located so she could have it. Um, but then something very funny happened. And this ties back into our collaborations where we did this watch with Bamford. And the design is very interesting, the carbon fiber case. And you know, Kathleen was really the, the one who spearheaded this. And, and again, I love the watch. I don't actually get to wear the watch because my son now wears that watch exclusively. Oh. And I'll never, I was so proud. I tend to sleep a little later and he has to get up. Obviously he was going to school and, uh, and he, he just came in the bedroom to give me like a kiss. Like, all right, dad, I'm going, I'm going, whatever. And he goes, Oh, uh, can I wear the, can I wear the, the, the watch? I'm like, huh? Yeah. You know, the now I'm fully awake at this point, but I don't want to let him know. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, is this happening? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, take it. Yeah, I don't care. And he leaves, and I'm like, oh, I got him back. I got him back. And uh, so maybe, you know, you, you find that one piece that really speaks to you, and it doesn't have to be anything special. I mean, that's the thing I love about Red Bar, though, is that you can wear – your Casio, you can wear a Seiko, you can wear your Swatch, or you can wear your Patek Philippe Grand Complication. It does not matter. Find something you're comfortable with, find something that just sparks that interest with you, and then run with it. I would say, though, just don't get too involved, you know, don't buy a watch on credit. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. You do have to feed yourself. You might have others that depend on you. Keep it, you know, within 
reason. And I think I think honestly, like watch communities are really the way for for especially for young folks. You know, we see a lot of younger younger people joining Red Bar um, nowadays, and again, it's that. There's no there's no barrier to entry really with with most watch collector communities. You know, most of the people that are in there are there because they're passionate. They want to share their knowledge with you. So it's not intimidating. Like walking into if you're you're, you know, I don't know, a college student, you walk into a watch boutique, it's that's yeah. intimidating. It's intimidating for me sometimes. I'm I'm like experienced and knowledgeable. I don't want to walk in there and be pressured to buy something or ask someone a question and have them and then feel bad because I didn't, you know, I wasn't ready to buy. I just wanted yeah. to learn. So the watch collector community takes away that intimidation factor you can just talk to other people who have the same interest as you or who are more knowledgeable and want to share that knowledge with you and i think that's really what we see when you know younger collectors approach us or start coming um is that you know they they just get to hang out with other people and 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 learn which is great who do you think is going to be drawn to the red bar accutron space view again it's the nerds um (laughs) I almost said nerds too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we, you, you know, once you toss that word out there, um, we I, mean it in the most loving way possible yeah, because course. we refer to ourselves in that way as well. Yeah, but it's it's somebody who is interested in the in the technology side, and somebody who wants something that's a conversation piece. And I think this not only applies to our collaboration, but the Space V line and as a whole. It's not going to be your first watch. It's not going to be your only watch. You know, you're going to have regular, so so to speak, timepieces, daily wearers. But I think this is for somebody who wants that conversation piece on their wrist that, that's a little different, that people are going to notice. Um, I don't think it's a watch for an introvert in that sense because you're going to have to answer some questions. Uh, it's going it, to catch people's eye and you're going to, yeah, but I agree with that. Yeah. It's going to be for the people that are, you know, that are, um, you know, maybe, maybe they're a little bit in their journey as a watch collector right. and they want something a little more off the beaten path, a little more interesting, a little bit more. I mean, it's not even a little bit. It's completely, it's completely unique yeah. watch. So it's, it's going to be for people that, that want that uniqueness. Yeah, I think so. I love that. The, the way that the watch echoes something in you, right? Mm-hmm. That that uniqueness or that that ability to find something special. As someone who's fallen in love with watches, I really identified with your story about Melody. I'm wondering if you have other stories about people that were sort of swept away or that just couldn't help but fall in love. Yeah, you know, we do. And, and again, I was actually thinking about this uh, when we were talking about, you know, who would be interested um, in this particular watch, uh, the collaboration piece we're doing with Accutron, but also how Maybe somebody who we wouldn't peg as being interested in this watch could, in fact, become that person. And I, I think there's some people who come into this hobby already with the preconceived notions of what they like and what they don't like. Maybe they were collecting a little bit. And we had this one member who, uh, you know, is experienced enough, started coming out to our meetings and loved stainless steel sport watches and particularly Rolex. So this guy knows what he likes, knows what he doesn't like, um, and that's fine. I think everybody, you know, finds their comfort zone. But what we find with Red Bar a lot of the times is you come in one way and then you come out another way. And so with this particular individual, uh, I'll never forget, we did an event with uh, the brand Parmigiani. And Michelle Parmigiani, who is the namesake of the brand and obviously the head watchmaker, uh, was there as well. Uh, very into photography, um, you know, very interesting fellow. And so he's talking to all these people, and in particular, this one member. Now, Parmigiani is known for a lot of things. Stainless steel sport watches is not one of them. <laughs> um, and at the time, uh, they really were much further removed uh, from that space than they are now. And But it was so interesting to watch these two people together. And he had a translator with them. Michelle doesn't speak a lot of English. But to have that experience, to meet the man behind the brand, to handle these watches. And again, these are dress pieces in gold. And we found out that about, was it like a week later, he'd actually bought, you know, a Tonda, you know, a gold dress watch that was so far out of his comfort zone, but because he'd had this experience. Um, And we've seen a lot of people do that. And I know that I, for myself personally, have bought watches that, you know, years previously, I wouldn't have given, you know, if you pardon the pun, the time of day to. 
But then, wow. I, wow. <laughs> wow. I'll be here through Thursday. <laughs> Tip your waitress. Tip your waitress. But, um, <laughs> but no, but it's, 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 it's always fun to watch that, that particular journey. I think there was one night where we, again, I love this. I, I bought a, um, uh, uh, this limited edition uh, G-Shock that you could only get in Japan. And a friend of mine had like, got it, sent it over. And so I'm wearing it. And this one of our members, he's like, how'd you get that? You know, it's Ultra 7. It was based on this old Japanese cartoon. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. He takes <laughs> off his his uh, Longa Zeitwerk Phantom <laughs> so that he can wear this G-Shock. And it's like, how? Can you get me? Like, do you know? And like, so this is the guy I would have to talk to because I want the in. Can you help me get this limited, rare longa that costs more than my family? And <laughs> and but here he's talking to me like, hey, how can I get a G-Shock? You know, and and then, you know, these forgets he has his watch. Other people are like, Troll, wow, I got this. But like <laughs> it was hilarious. But to me, that in a nutshell was what Red Bar was and is. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Both of that story is one of my favorite ones because this was a guy who was not only was he that first story, not only was he a steel sports watch guy, but he was that was like his identity. Like he was like he, he would come to Red Bar and look at other watches and be like, eh. You know, he was only he would only gravitate towards steel sport watches. And yeah, maybe he would like I mean, he was curious. He it was, was curious. nice to try he them. He would try them on. But he, Dip you know, his toe in a little bit. He would nod to a tutor here and there. But, you know, he, he was in. And the, the, the gold dress watch was so completely out of character for him. And it was the personal connection that was really the thing. And I think we've we found that with a lot of brands yeah. when we do events with brands, especially when people get to meet the maker or the movement designer or – or, yeah. or you know, kind of anyone with that personal connection. Like, these are the— It's part of the story that goes part along of the, with the watch. It's part of the story, and it's, you know, I, I think one of the stories that—my favorite story, it's not about people buying a watch necessarily, but it was about um, an event that we did. So every year before—there's a couple of shows here in New York, uh, Watch Time New York and uh, the Wind Up Watch Fair. And every year prior to that, we the Wednesday prior to uh, Watch Time— we would do an event called Independence Night. So we would, and we still do it. We're doing it this year. Uh, we invite any independent brand that's exhibiting to just come hang out. Just come to Don't a regular bring your red watches. bar. I mean, whatever's on your wrist, fine. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. No, it's no formal event. It's just, just please come have beers with us. Right. And one this year, that year it was 2019, again, right before uh, all of the I things happened. I remember 2019. And, uh, you know, Stephen Forzy came and the Gronefeld brothers came. And Erica from Erica's original Strat was was yeah. there, and I think Roman Gautier, yeah. Roman Gautier came and 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 you know for our members that's like that's like being in a room with a rock star, yeah, and they're just standing next to you having a a drink, and it was so much fun for both the watchmakers themselves and the members because they got to connect with these people on a real level. And the same thing happened actually earlier, um, like a month and a half ago when uh, Roger Smith came to town. Uh, he was uh, the the second, uh, his pocket watch number two was on auction at Phillips and he, um, he was going to be in town. So we did a red bar event and people just got to hang out with him and were amazed at the fact that he was wearing an Omega that had the coaxial escapement in it that he helped <laughs> yeah. bring to market with George Daniels. But, you know, he's just he's just just hanging out, having beers with everyone. And those kinds of stories are what what make people, you know, love coming to Red Bar, but also they they just remember that forever. They're yeah. you know now they're gonna look at not only Roger Smith watches, which are unobtainable yeah. kind of at this point, but they're gonna look at that Omega in a different way because they remember seeing it on well, Roger think, Smith's you know, just remember folks, living legend watchmakers, they're people just like you and I. <laughs> um, they drink beer too. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's yeah, it's just fun on a community level, on every level. I think whether you're the watchmaker, whether you're a new collector, whether you're a seasoned collector. Um, and again, the stories just keep coming. And that's what it's about. Yeah. Storytelling is everything. Where do you see the watch industry going? How do you how do you see it evolving and, and becoming, you know, you have this global uh, global community now. How, how is the watch industry going to evolve? 
I have so, I have some thoughts on that. First, I think that yeah, there's okay. <laughs> first, yeah. I first I think that there, um, you know, there's obviously a, a movement in a lot of areas of luxury, especially uh, f- towards sustainability. I think that's also very important to the younger generation. So as yeah, you know, younger people um, are are starting to make their own consumer decisions. That becomes something that's more important to them. So I think we've seen some movement in that direction with a number of watch brands um, who have you know made efforts to reduce the size of their packaging or use recyclable materials or um, or actually upcycle materials to use in their cases, things like that. I think that that's going to be not only a, a continuing trend, but a necessary one uh, as the consumer consumer priorities evolve. Uh, I think that's and it's really important in order for the, the industry to be sustainable as a whole. Uh, I also think that we'll continue to see growth in the independent and uh, microbrand sectors because they're so because they are able to do things like take risks and with design and mm-hmm. things like that things like that. Um, but it's also a way that a, a number of uh, brands get started because they're enthusiasts themselves and right. they want to get into the industry, but they're you know not going to go necessarily through the traditional watchmaking school kind of, you know, working for a big company kind of uh, kind of step. So uh, I think that we'll continue to see that. And then that accessibility and that that sort of down-to-earth kind of thing where these, these people want to talk to collectors um, will continue to to be something that that drives uh, drives the you know people to want to buy those those watches. No, I think that's really important. And I think that for the established brands, uh, they're going to have to embrace a level of that nimbleness, so to speak, um, because people want it faster and they want it their way, uh, in a sense. And the smaller micro brands can do that. But as they graduate, say, these collectors to, again, the legacy brands, I think they're going to still want to see some of that um, as well. But I think that also means that that the older brands are going to have to start looking at their collections with uh, a more critical eye. You know, that there was a trend for a while towards downsizing the SKUs in a sense and streamlining your collections so that you're speaking to the core of what your company's values are instead of a scattershot trying to make something for everyone. Uh, But I think we'll see that there's going to be more of that happening, too. Honestly, that's a vision of the future that I think we can all hope for for the watch industry. Kathleen and Adam, so wonderful speaking with you. It's very exciting to see this evolution in progress. And we definitely look forward to the Red Bar Accutron Space View coming out on September 21st on AccutronWatch.com. Thank you. Thank you. We can't wait. Thank you for listening to The Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. Remember to check out our special edition Accutron products in collaboration with La Paulina Cigars, Estabrook Pens, Asseline Publishing, and Stave Puzzles. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time. This is Bill McCuddy.